so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Welcome to the Disciples of Liberty. Welcome to the revolution, folks. Hope you're having a fantastic day. We're going to be talking Israel today. Love them, hate them. Uh, Divisive among Democrats and Republicans. People say Benjamin Netanyahu uh, is good. Some say he's bad, but he's not going to be there any longer. Adam Roosevelt, an Army veteran and security expert who's worked in the Department of Defense, He is the CEO of AR International, which helps governments and major corporations protect themselves from emerging security threats. He's a regular on TV and radio. Adam, thank you and welcome to the show. Hey, Tim, thank you for having me. Really happy to be with you on the show. You know, it's uh, it's it's one of those. Things. I've done a lot of shows about Israel over fifteen years of radio, uh, the Israel Palestine. You know, everybody in the Middle East wanting Israel dead, and and Democrats saying that's not the case. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of things happen in Israel, and Israel, a longtime ally of the United States, no matter what anybody says, uh, people at war constantly. I, I don't think people who haven't served in the military, and I'm not saying I've served in the military. I've, I've spoken to a lot of military vets, and uh, not knowing if, if a missile is going to drop in your backyard is sort of a scary place in the world to live. But now Netanyahu's out, and it looks like uh, COVID takes another leader. <laughs> you know, The mainstream media destroyed former President Trump here in America, same thing with uh, Mr. Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister of, of, of Israel. They blamed him for a lot of his COVID reactions. Uh, what's going on in Israel right now, Adam? Well, Tim, I'll first say the Israeli political landscape has changed. As we all see, the new Prime Minister, Bennett, is now in charge. He's going to be leading the Israelis in terms of their next chapter. But I think there's a lot of history prior to him getting the position um, chief and responsibility under the Netanyahu umbrella of leadership. And that was a 12-year reign, essentially, uh, in governing over the Israeli territory, effectively leading all the political conversations, the military action, the military conversations and campaigns, the joint work with the United States. So we're seeing a new transition that is very different, at least from a faction perspective of leadership, um, because now we've got a new prime minister. One thing I will say in the Middle East is what we see on the news is not what's truly happening on the ground. I just left the GCC, uh, which essentially I was in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Ras Al Khaimah, and I attended several conferences with the Israeli Defense Forces as well as their private sector 
got involved with some conversations and engagements with Raphael, which is a corporation that's responsible for launching the defense missiles, the Iron Dome, uh, to protect Israel from incoming fire in terms of the rocket attacks that they've been seeing coming out of the Gaza uh, location. So on the ground, a lot of tension. And we always know that there will be a need for national security. Israel believes that. They are reacting each day. Uh, so we're going to turn over a new leaf of leadership. And we've got a lot to talk about, Tim, as it pertains to Israel, U.S. relations and the Abraham Accords. Who is this new leader? What is his policy towards Palestine? Because what I've read, it says that it's a better day for Palestine under this new leadership, that he's not going to take as aggressive a policy as the Netanyahu government did in retribution or retaliation for strikes. Well, strikes have already begun. I think we've already seen within the last 96 hours some activities from Israel to Gaza. So this is post-Netanyahu, the former prime minister. So there are times where politicians have to communicate to their constituency a message of unity and peace. But the reality is the new prime minister is walking into a chapter of tension that was already pre-existing to his new leadership reign. So we've already seen activity occurring now. I think that because his background militarily, he's a very interesting dynamic leader who's got a military background. He's got to make decisions on behalf of Israel in terms of national security so that he does not look weak, not just from the Gaza perspective, but from the Iran perspective. And as you know, Israel has been very active in military strikes on Iran assets. So if you think about Gaza and how close they are, they've got to be militarily strong. They've got to present a strong front and they cannot allow just this small bit of time for any issues to occur during this new administration that would further make Israel look like they're not capable of defending their national security interests. You know, uh, for a lot of years on the radio, I've heard a lot of people talk about how Israel is America's first line of defense against Iran's nuclear policy. Israel's never had to go through the same channels as America has, has to go through in order to strike first. And uh, some people hate that. Some people love it. Uh, are they going to continue to be that type of ally for America? I think naturally speaking, from a professional capacity, I think Israel plays a vital role in terms of an allied partner, especially in the region. The closer our military partners are to our adversaries, the better decisions they can make in terms of strike capacity and engaging military targets, whether it be in maritime, which is where the sea operations happen, whether Iran has Navy vessels that they're using to transport weapons to Venezuela or to other terrorist-linked organizations. So naturally, Israel is a great ally, but I would think that Israel will continue to maintain independence in terms of their quick decisions. You know, there was a time where we, the United States, believed that we would coordinate with our allies in one room at the round table and effectively, be, when, once we give the green light, folks would hit the green button. But I think because times have changed, national security is in the interest of their nation, they have to look at Israel equities first and then joint collaborative allied equities second. So I think that's going to be the focus here because, again, there's still a lot of things that occurred with the killing of General Soleimani in Iran. We got the Gaza tensions. 
So Israel is going to have to really bolster their defense forces. They're going to have to be quick about how they execute their national security and defense strategy. And again, we're an allied partner. They're strategic in terms of our relationship. But I think we're going to see a new dynamic now with our new president, Biden, um, following the exit of President Trump. So we're in a new phase of of friendship. Let's see how far and how realistic and how stable it really is. That's a question I was just going to ask you. This isn't the same uh, President Trump uh, White House today. This is the Biden and Democratic controlled White House who seems to be less interested in keeping a strong uh, allied commitment to Israel in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of time over the years, the Democrats have blamed Israel for tensions in the Middle East. And so not only did America lose its president who would hit and hit hard, we put in a guy who really hasn't had a lot of discussions with anybody in the world. So not only are we facing this government upheaval, now Israel is. How are the people in Israel handling the Biden administration? How are uh, the other Middle Eastern countries that hate Israel uh, viewing this as opportunity or you know, are they terrified of the U.S. intervention? Uh, there's a lot to decipher. I'm sure you do this uh, every day, all day, uh, when you're traveling and back there. It's just an interesting time in the Middle East right now. It is. And I'll first rest assured the, the viewers and, and the friends in the United States is that the United States is loved more than we know. Even the local Iranian citizens love the Americans. So we've got quite a brand that extends well beyond what we know here on the ground. But more so when we look at the political landscape with the new President Biden, essentially, you know, I think Biden's whole strategy coming out of the White House is this unified message of collaboration and coalition on soft initiatives that are easy for politicians to get quick wins because he's in his first term. The aggressive conversations naturally happen toward the second term where, you know, you have to really take prisoners in and not ask questions. Right. So we're talking about military conflict. We're talking about humanitarian crisis. We're also talking about economic trade relations in the region. So Biden is going to have to really be very direct in his communication. It's early to say how he's going to perform because the Abraham Accords is also very new. Let's see what he does. But I will say that he is taking a more passive approach because he thinks and believes that the global war, the global world order, essentially controlled and operated by the United States corporation, essentially will always be uh, focused on peace and militarily is the second option under this president. So I think we're going to have to really put, I think, the pen on the paper to determine how Biden will perform. It's very hard to see. And the Middle East, though, specifically on the ground, I think they know they have to work with the U.S. long term. So four years is a long time, Tim. So they don't want to come out of the gate with aggressive decisions or anti-American decisions, no matter who they are, because they've been an ally for a long period of time. So the point I'll make here in the closing statement here on this question is that the U.S. has a strong presence. I think Biden needs a little more time before we can evaluate whether or not he's effective or not beyond just the talking points that have been handed to him. You know, I have uh, interviewed people from Egypt, people from Israel throughout the years. And and one of the comments I I used to get a lot was uh, the United States government funds both sides of of conflict. Uh, 
that the military industrial complex seems to give a lot of weapons and and we have over the years to Iraq to Iran uh, along with with Israel so so we've created more tension by arming uh, both sides and a lot of times it's been the Democrats that like to give both sides of the of the conflict uh, weapons and then Republicans come in and have to clean up uh, and go in and, and say you're playing mean with our toys we just gave you uh, is that yeah. still happening right now or um, when you look at the foreign dollars going out are we giving pretty much equal for uh, promises of purchases of military instruments of death Oh, absolutely. That's a game we've all played, and we call it foreign military sales, billions of dollars in transactions. You know, it contributes to our gross domestic product in terms of our revenue. And annually, we have a large part of our GDP that goes to manufacturing of weapons and munitions and then trading that in terms of export to different countries for allied military operations or even just commercial use. So, yes. Now, let me take it back one step. When you mentioned Democrats, there was a time where, unfortunately, we were caught with our hands on the weapon in terms of giving it to the wrong people. And that was under the Obama administration. It was called the Fast and Furious under Department of Justice. Eric Holder essentially authorized this very interesting non-American policy where they would flood the market uh, specifically targeting criminal organizations where they believed they could trace these weapons at a later point in time. But these weapons were 50 caliber. We're talking real militarized, high-grade capacity to really do some damage, you know, long-term. Um, and, and those weapons were actually recovered in the raid with El Chapo. So those were U.S. weapons that were tied to uh, the Fast and Furious Department of Justice program, and that's open knowledge, open source. But these are the type of things that should not happen. We don't shy away from selling weapons. We're a capitalist country. We believe in that. But we got to make sure we're careful in terms of how we supply organizations that would then turn those weapons on Americans or our allied partners, either in civilian locations or in the military war zone. Well, you know, I'm going to correct one thing. We, we, we shy away from selling weapons to the American citizens under the Second Amendment. But we tend to don't mind giving rocket launchers, grenades, 50 cals to children and people throughout the Middle East. Uh, it's not hard to Google American arms in the Middle East. And if you know anything about guns, look at uh, the young kids, the, the, the militant groups in Iraq, Iran, uh, in different countries, they're uh, photographing themselves with military uh, weaponry from the United States. I, I brought this up the other day on a show. I talked about how uh, products aren't made to last today. You know, I, I have a fridge freezer in my garage that was my mother's. It's well over 30 years, but these uh, manufacturers of these type of products recognize if they want a continual market base that they had to make these products die after five to seven years so they'd have a continual flow of customers. The military industrial complex is no different. They supply multi-million dollar missiles, ammunition, weapons to the government. It doesn't do them any good if nobody's using it somewhere in the world because then nobody continues to buy. It's a one-time order and they don't want one-time orders. So yes, we do arm the world and we. It, it seems like America sometimes likes conflict in other places to distract Americans here from what's going on. 
Well, Tim, I'll tell you, you know, I think being a military person and, and having served in the war, a couple tours to Afghanistan, you know, I'm a little different in my perspective. I have no problem with conflict uh, as long as it's directed at the enemy, the adversaries, the folks who were responsible for 9-11, the folks who were taking out children and exploiting them through trafficking. You know, those are very easy targets for me to get my hands on a weapon and go and engage those threats. Happy to do it any day of the week in any country. You know, but we again, America has the responsibility of equilibrium. So it's not that we're gung hungry or war hungry or warmongers, but I think we understand from a global perspective the needs of the globe. In fact, to target you know a lot of this illicit activity with these organized criminals or terrorist organizations. So I think we play our part. You know, if you look at Africa and Boko Haram and the atrocities there, killing the kids and, and the women and the atrocities in those places. If you look at China and the Uyghurs and all these different conversations against you know, whether or not China's being humanitarian and the atrocities, Tim, that are happening in those locations, there has to be someone, someone in the world. I think that someone is the United States and we are the checks and balances. We're responsible for equilibrium around the globe. Let's take this back to Israel uh, one more time before we close this interview. We don't know exactly what these changes are going to bring to the Israeli government yet. It's, it's early. Uh, you know, people are meeting and talking. You're involved in a lot of these talks. Uh, people are, you know, they, they wait to see what shakes out. Is there this apprehension? Is there an unease of what's going to happen with the Israeli government? Well, I'll tell you from a government election perspective, you know, they got their new PM. A lot of factions came together to overthrow the former prime minister, Netanyahu. So from that perspective, I think the politicians are fine. Now, on ground with the citizens and the constituents, they're obviously more concerned with whether or not their buildings will get hit with rockets, whether or not the defense system will protect them and their children when they go to school and those rockets don't hit an innocent location or hospital or schoolhouse. So there's much different worries depending on where you are, but I think there's tension all, all around because there's a conflict on the border. Um, so that, I would say, absolutely. But they're going to look to peace relations, the citizens at least, to determine whether or not the government is doing everything in the best interest of Israel. And we'll have to see how this pans out over the next series of months. You know, you served two tours in Afghanistan, and thank you so much for your service. You know what uh, a combat area, combat zone looks like. And it, it's hard to tell people in Utah or Texas, what, you know, if all of a sudden their towns, you know, San Antonio all of a sudden became a combat zone, and you're walking down the street and you hear a, a, a little hum or missile overhead, and then all of a sudden a building in front of you disappears. You know, that's the reality in Israel. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's a terrifying reality that Americans don't have to face. You know, you brought up Boko Haram and, and some of these other places. They live with the reality that Americans, we're a little complacent because, you know, we have you guys that we send to conflicts. And, and, and you guys have to deal with... Uh, the anger and hatred and, and, and the killing. But I, I've interviewed people who have lost children in uh, EUD car wreck in Israel 
or, you know, they've seen their school hit or their business hit. You know, one day they go to work, the next day to go back, and during the night their uh, strip mall's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that like? Because you still travel there. What is your tension level when you travel to these summits? You know, it's interesting because I'm a politically exposed, you know, being on the national TV. So, you know, what I say in America is what I say in America, but I've also got to be extremely careful what I say in the Middle East because, you know, I'm on the other stations and, and folks know me as a military person who may or may not still be involved in military influence. So the things are, depending on individual capacity, yes, we have to be very careful as Americans individually, and especially those who may be politically exposed. You know, but I'll say, what is it like? Um, traditionally speaking, any war zone is, is a war zone. So, you know, bombs go off. Uh, things happen where, you know, one day you're standing somewhere and a bomb goes off and whether or not you're a victim of that attack or not, you'll feel the blast. Uh, there's a fear that exists in that community that is, is you'll never be able to shake. You'll never be able to sleep. So it's one of those things that once it happens, it sticks with you for a lifetime. There are some of us who become resilient because we have to be the shield for the innocent civilians and that's the harder mission is to be the protector. I think that's the role we all try to play in the military to liberate these individuals and provide a shield of protection um, so that there's prosperity, there's safety, and obviously the equilibrium of peace and security around the globe. But that's kind of my response there, Tim, on that. You know, the uh, and going to these summits, uh, you put yourself out there as a target because summits are always targets of terrorists or other people because they know people of influence people of you know military rank politicians are going to be at these summits so uh, i'm sure the security's high and the uh, travel is hectic i I appreciate what you do Uh, i i appreciate that you uh, help educate and inform people of of the united states just what uh, our money and our our help is going for you're not associated with the government of the united states right now though you're independent correct that's correct, Tim. All right. Uh, like to throw that out there because people are going to, you know, it, it's like you say, you, you never know how they're going to paint you as a CIA operative, as a spy. I mean, you, you live with this intrigue all the time, and it's, it's not always good intrigue. And I guess it's a wait and see. You know, people in the United States go about their business, their daily business right now that COVID's clearing up, and, and that was the biggest threat to them. What goes on in the Middle East should concern everybody throughout the world uh, because every projection of the next possible big war, it could start in the Middle East because, you know, China and Russia back different people than the United States backs. And uh, they've called them proxy wars for years. So uh, you'll keep us posted. Any last words for our uh, listeners? Yes, Tim. First, I'll say thank you so much for having me and and thank you for the listeners who are listening. But I'll just say this on the patriotic statement. I think we're all patriots. We will do everything necessary to protect U.S. national security interests. Our folks will sleep well at night for centuries to come. Uh, We'll do whatever's necessary to keep our people safe and our allies safe. So I'm confident in the U.S. infrastructure. I'm confident in our military and I'm confident in our diplomatic tools that we will be a nation to lead the globe for centuries to come. All right. You've been listening to the Disciples of Liberty, our guest, Adam Roosevelt, today, former military. How long did you serve? Uh, nine years, 
10. Nine years, yes. And now a security advisor. He travels all over the Middle East. Uh, We appreciate him coming here. Now, what can you do? You're asking yourself, well, what can I do? How can I get involved? Well, A, you can make sure that we elect politicians that uh, treat our allies correctly. Uh, Make sure you're supporting the people who understand the importance of our allies in the Middle East. Uh, Secondly, you can share these shows. Uh, your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, your LinkedIn. As we post the marketing for these shows, share it. Get involved. Have the discussions with your family and friends about what they think. You know, we we got to stop looking at the world as this small little statewide or citywide uh, topic or even national. We We have to look and have discussions about what's happening throughout the world. You know, I tell people that with China and with the uh, – uh, slave labor over there, your, your dollars count, your votes count. Um, you can become involved without doing what Adam's doing and traveling uh, the globe, sticking your neck out for the protection of other countries. Uh, you can protect them here by making sure the officials that you help get elected have the mindset to be involved with international politics. Uh, Until next time and the next half of the show, folks, take care. God bless and welcome to the revolution. Remember, the revolution happens in the hearts and the minds. I'm not calling for a physical revolution, although there are times when I want to divorce the uh, left and and go about in our uh, red state republic. But, folks, you have to have a change of heart and mind. You have to get involved. You have to pay attention, and you have to care about other people. That's how we end hatred. That's how we end violence, and that's how we uh, make the world a better place. Thank you so much, and until the flip side. My fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L.
and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. All right, welcome back. Continuing our talks on Israel. Who better than David Rubin, former mayor of Shiloh, Israel, author of the new book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel, the founder and president of Shiloh Israel Children's Fund, and a friend of the show. David, welcome. Well, thank you, Tim. Good to be with you again. Yes, Netanyahu's out, Bennett's in, and some interesting things overnight, uh, incendiary balloons. Uh, launch from Palestine and uh, Israel fires back the first uh, conflict after 11 days of peace. Uh, that's right. Well, I have to first correct you on that. Uh, there, there is no place called Palestine. There is no country called Palestine. Uh, the, the, there is the Hamas terrorist organization, which is ensconced and rules with an iron fist in Gaza, uh, which was one of the autonomous areas that Israel had handed over to the, to the Arabs of the land of Israel who call themselves Palestinians. But we need to understand that Arabs in the land of Israel never called themselves Palestinians until 1964, when the Palestine Liberation Organization was founded. And in fact, my father-in-law, who, who was from a, a family of 10 generations Israelis, uh, he says that when, when he was a, a, a young child, uh, it was only the Jewish kids who, who occasionally called themselves Palestinian Jews. Uh, there, there were, the, the term just was never used by the Arabs. And only in 1964 did they start to call themselves Palestinians because they wanted to have a national identity. And they said, okay, we'll say that we're the indigenous people here. We were kicked out of our indigenous homeland and, and you know, driven from our, our country. Uh, but, you know, any, anyone who tells me that they actually had a country here uh, or that there is an actual country here, I, I defy them to tell me what the monetary currency of that country is, and I defy them to, to I challenge them to tell me what what the the who the elected leader or or non-elected leader of that country is. Uh, they can't answer any of those questions because there never was a Palestine. It's one of the greatest hoax in in history. And, you know, if you, if you look at uh, some of the other hoax, 
you know, hoaxes like the, you know, the Russian collusion hoax and others, uh, you realize that they all pale in comparison to this particular hoax of a country called Palestine, that even someone uh, as educated as you, Tim, uh, would use the word Palestine. Well, you know, when you hear it every day in the media, it's just one of those technical errors that you make. Oh, yeah. In your case, it's a technical error, but in the case of far too many people, it's a it's an error of knowledge that that they they just don't know. People just don't know because uh, Hamas and and uh, this people that calls themselves the Palestinians, uh, they, uh, you know, I remember Newt, Newt Gingrich uh, famously years ago when he was running for president, he referred to the Palestinians as an invented people. Uh, because they they just created themselves in 1964. Most people don't even realize it. They think they existed for centuries. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with that. And you know, I I guess uh, if we tried to create a new country inside the United States with all the red states opposed to the administration here. It wouldn't sit very well with the people in Washington, D.C. or the mainstream media. Yet, so many uh, push that, uh, you know, we need to recognize Palestine. And uh, Israel has been holding them back. Like you say, till 1964, there was nothing. Yeah, uh, and there, there, was, there was no Palestinian people per se. There never was. Uh, the the British as the colonial power and the Turks as the colonial power before them, uh, they they called the land Palestine, and before that the Romans are the ones who gave it that name. They called it Palestina after they exiled all the Jews from the land of Israel uh, because they wanted to erase the real historical connection of Israel. So that's all you know. That I'll tell you, even they. But, but you can't invent a country. You can't pretend that a country exists when it doesn't. And it, look, even the term Gaza, you know, in, in my book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel, you know, I spoke about this semantic propaganda game. Uh, but e- even Gaza doesn't have any Arab connection. You know where we hear, we hear about Gaza the first time? In the Bible. Where, where we learn about Samson, who lived in Gaza. Amazing, amazing. How many people don't know that? You know, it, it, it's shocking. And there's a lot of similarities of what's going on with Israel right now. America just lost a strong leader in former President Trump, and we have Biden at the helm now, and he didn't do very well with Putin. And we just lost Netanyahu, who for 11 years has sat the world stage and you know, he, he was a fierce, fierce person when it came to uh, controlling terrorists for the United States and for the Middle East. And now we have Bennett. Uh, Bennett is conservative right, they say, but he heads up a, a left-oriented government. Uh, so, you know, people are on the streets in Israel. Uh, what's what's it hold? What's the future hold for Bennett and Israel right now with uh, him taking charge? Well, first of all, let me say that 
Whatever one thinks of Prime Minister Netanyahu personally or politically, he was absolutely a giant on the world stage. He was a remarkably skilled diplomat, as we saw in his collaboration with President Trump on the Abraham Accords that was signed with several Arab nations. He took bold stands when needed, as when he launched uh, that daring spy operation where the uh, the Israeli military intelligence went into Iran, in the heart of Iran, and flew out of Iran with thousands of files. And, uh, you know, I'm not even talking, I'm not talking about a, sneaking out with a computer chip. You know, they, they went out with actual hard copy files, uh, thousands of them, uh, at, which they snuck out of Iran. Uh you know, they, we have a great intelligence, a great intelligence organization, but, uh, you know, it really rivals none. Uh, but but when it comes to uh, the reality, you know, the political leader, Netanyahu, gave the order to do it and gave us tremendous information and gave the United States tremendous information about the Iranian nuclear program. And to this day, when you hear about an Israeli attack within Iran, you should know that that information helped uh, Israel and the United States whenever there is a covert action in Iran. You know, the, the, this is a fact that United States has used Israel to keep Iran in check with their nuclear weapons, with their uh, creating nuclear laboratories. Uh, Israel has always been the tool that America used in its so-called proxy war, uh, you know, with Russia backing Iran per se, and the United States had Israel. Is Biden going to be as strong with Bennett as former presidents has been with Netanyahu? Well, you have to understand this, uh, that first of all, Biden is a very weak leader, and he's weak within his own party because he has all these leftists within his own party, and he even has some Muslim radicals within his own party now, who are trying to pull him to the left and, and to encourage him to take much weaker stands on the public stage, on the international stage. The only thing that Biden is fitting the pattern on is with Israel. And the pattern being, not the pattern of President Trump, who, who was a great friend of Israel, uh, but the pattern of President Obama, who, who went head-to-head with Israel, who, who, who didn't want uh, Israel to uh, get too many benefits from, uh, from the United States, too many political benefits, that is. And, you know, so, so that needs to be understood from the start. Now, as far as Bennett goes, uh, you know, Bennett managed through a lot of political wheeling and dealing to become prime minister, uh, even though he's a prime minister of this left-wing coalition that also has an Arab party in there that is pro-Hamas and that is anti-Israel and, you know, kind of paradoxical, right? So uh, that, uh, that they're, they're receiving salaries from the Israeli people, uh, to be in that government and to be against Israel and pro-Hamas. Well, uh, that's the reality. And Bennett, who who genuinely is right of center, uh, I think 
What he's going to succeed in doing is taking a strong stand on Iran, uh, because on that issue, there's pretty much a consensus in Israel and on taking a strong stand against Iran, their nuclear program. Uh, where he may run into difficulty is if he takes too strong a stand against Iran, uh, he may get some opposition from that Arab party, which is very pro-Hamas. And as you know, uh, Iran is the main benefactor of the Hamas terrorist organization, as well as, of course, the Hezbollah terrorist organization. Yes, um, Iran has, they haven't really hidden the fact that they love to fund terrorism. And they haven't hidden the fact uh, that they want Israel gone. And when I say Israel gone, what many people in the United States and what's not taught is they just don't want to incorporate Israel and take it over. They want the Israeli Jews dead. You know, and, I, and, I, and they I, say it, and they say it, Tim. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's what shocks me when you have a conversation with a anti-Israel liberal from the United States, and they talk about how evil Israel is and how they can't live peacefully with. Hamas, it's like Hamas doesn't want to live peacefully. And you bring that up in conversation and say, no, they want Israel dead. They want every man, woman, child annihilated, and they want genocide. And they're like, no, you're misreading and and misstating the facts. Well, they obviously haven't listened to the chants and the marches and and read the – the news reports that come out of Hamas and Iran and, and some of these other nations in the Middle East? Well, look, Tim, I think it's important to state this and to state it clearly, okay? Because in, in my book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel, I, I wrote very clearly, I had a whole chapter about this, this semantic confusion where uh, we don't understand what terms mean anymore because the radical left has used semantics, has exploited semantics, but they've done so very deceptively. And I'll give you a few examples. And, uh, and by the way, they, they, they learned this from the Muslim radicals in the Middle East that Israel is confronted with all the time. And, you know, one example, of course, is the word Palestine. Okay, that's a semantic confusion, uh, but intentional semantic deception. Uh, then, then you have other terms. Look, look at look at the word liberal. Okay, a, a true liberal is is open. The whole idea of being a liberal is that you're open to discussing different ideas and dialogue. And uh, but most of the people who are anti-Israel today are not real liberals. They are hard leftists. They're, 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 they're even close to Marxists, many of them. And, uh, and the far left, the radical left in America, has become very anti-Israel. In fact, during the war, uh, during the, the recent war that we had, uh, that uh, unfortunately came to a ceasefire much too quickly uh, because of the pressure of the Biden administration, uh, the, during that war, in the height of that war, as 4,000 Hamas rockets were being fired at Israeli cities 
the Black Lives Matter organization of all of all organizations, the same Black Lives Matter uh, that Mitt Romney was praising, uh, the, the the same Black Lives Matter movement uh, that was calling for defunding the police, uh, that same Black Lives Matter movement came out with a very bold statement saying that they stand in solidarity with their Palestinian brothers and sisters uh, who are under attack from Israel, as they said. Uh, you know, you have to understand that the radical left in America is anti-Israel. You know, that is the case. And the first part of the show, um, I was talking to a guest and I said, the Americans don't know what it's like to live in fear. Sure, Minnesota burned, Portland had riots, Seattle had riots from these Black Lives Matter people, and they burned businesses and they terrorized streets. But to walk down a street and have a building explode close to you and feel the concussion of 4,000 bombs being launched into your city, and this is daily routine from Hamas and from Iran in Israel – it's it's terrifying. Could you imagine that in California and how quickly the liberals would be calling for, you know, the annihilation of of Iran at that point? It's it's just yeah, well, it's it's just insane it. because we had nine eleven, and we had two buildings that uh, came down at nine eleven, and and people wanted uh, the Iraqi government wiped off the face of the earth. Yep, that's true. That is very true. And, you know, the, look, the, Iran doesn't just shout out in their, in their parliament uh, death to Israel. They also shout out death to America. And they don't shout out death to all Americans who are Trump supporters or, or who are conservatives. They shout out death to America. And, and that, you know, Iranian attacks of Iranian... If Iran gets a hold of uh, the long-term uh, continent, the long-term uh, intercontinental, long-range intercontinental missiles that they've been developing, if they've managed to succeed in developing them or get a hold of others, uh, they, and if they have a nuclear bomb, well, the United States is in trouble as well. You know, people don't realize... Like I said earlier, Israel has always been the checks and balances for the United States with Iran. When the United States can't go in and bomb a lab that is creating these intercontinental missiles, they've counted on Israel to do it. And yes, people say, well, we funded Israel. We give Israel a lot of money. We also give Egypt a lot of money, Iraq a lot of money, Afghanistan a lot of money. So in a way, we're funding both sides of the conflict. We're not making life easier on Israel. I interviewed somebody once from Israel, and it might have been you, years ago that said, yeah, you know, we could do without Americans' money if America would stop giving all our enemies money. Yep, very true, very true. And look, the, the, the Palestinian Authority, you know, the, the, which is their, their quasi-government that they would like to turn into a country, uh, they, they've received hundreds of millions of, of dollars 
just recently from the Biden administration, and they received it unconditionally, despite the fact that they are funding terrorism, that they are paying monthly salaries to terrorists. That's why President Trump had cut off their funding. Now Biden has resumed it. You know, your your book, Confronting Radicals, it's, it's interesting because 1964, this Palestinian movement took place and they wanted to claim themselves a country. In the United States, we have this progressive Marxist socialist movement happening in the Democratic Party. And we're starting to see it with the Black Lives Matter and Antifa. We're starting to see the same type of influence in the united states that israel saw in 1964 and so the the book couldn't come at a a, at a better time but but the point of the the topic is most americans don't realize the threat from within our own nation you know israel's had to deal with it for decades now yet the united states has been pretty peaceful up until you know, they tried it in the 1960s with the Black Panthers and uh, Cloward and Piven, and, and now they've been pretty much successful in controlling the narrative in the United States with these terrorist organizations here in our own country. Yes, and that, and that is one of the, the main points uh, that possibly even the main message and I, I don't want to get into all of my suggestions of how Americans can fight the, the radical left, uh, but one of the main messages is that that work has to be done at the grassroots level. And, you know, so when I, when I give my suggestions in the last chapter of confronting radicals, what America can learn from Israel, I discuss that main point, that important point, that change has been happening at the grassroots level uh, for several decades, and, and it's been carried out by the far left. And it's time that the conservative public in America takes a stand and says they're going to stand up for their values. And standing up for your values doesn't just mean voting for the candidates you want, although that's very important, and being active in in campaigning for the candidates that you want, that's also important. But being active uh, on the local level, at the grassroots level, uh, joining school boards and, and getting involved in the legal system, in the media, in whatever way you can, whether financially or, or active just in terms of political action, get involved and, and stop sitting at home and complaining. You know, you gotta you gotta do things to make a difference. You know, it's interesting that you brought up Mitt Romney. You know I'm from Utah, but the the fact of the matter is what many Republicans and many conservatives and, and Judeo Christian people in the United States don't recognize is the enemies on both sides now. You have the people like Mitt Romney who knelt and marched with Black Lives Matters as they were burning down cities and who actively worked against the Republican president, yet stayed in the Republican Party, actively voted for Biden. Yet, you know, people in this country still look at some of their Republicans as their savior when they are 
basically turncoats. They are working for the enemy within the Republican Party. And, and this is where the grassroots is important to get even those people out. Because I say it all the time, I'd almost rather have a Democrat knowing what to expect representing me from the state of Utah than a turncoat Republican who is supposed to have ideals and morals uh, turn against everything that I hold dear. That's right. That's right. We uh, Look, pe- people should be skeptical about any rhinos. And, you know, if it, it, what's important about a politician is whether he stands for your values. And it's important to understand what your values are and to defend those values and not just look for, for political representatives to defend those values for you. You know, be, be active, get active. And, you know, I emphasize it again, get on the school boards. Anyone can get elected to the school board, even if you homeschool your children or you send them to private schools, or even if you don't have children, anyone can get elected to a school board. Yes, it's true. And, and the education, the way we've been teaching our children in America is greatly flawed, to say the least. So just to sort of wrap up, so Bennett's in charge of a left-leaning coalition in Israel. Uh, the hostilities, the tension is high in Israel. Is it higher now than it has been in the past? I mean, we saw just a month ago a, a lot of missiles intercepted by Israel, and if they didn't have the technology to intercept those, we would see a lot of more deaths in Israel. What is the tension like? Why are the people taking to the streets in Israel right now? Well, look, people, people in Israel go on with their lives no matter what. Uh, but uh, you, you have to understand that that the, the situation is that right now there's a very fragile government. There is this government that, you know, is headed by a right-winger that's controlled by two-thirds of, the, of that uh, coalition is, is left-wing. And so it's a very fragile government. Uh, Hamas will be looking to take advantage of that. And also, you have to understand, this anti-Israel, pro-Hamas Arab party that is in the coalition now, they hold tremendous power. If, if Arabs start rioting in the streets again, as they did during the war, and and they start attacking uh, Jews out in the streets and and setting synagogues on fire as they did during the war and torching hundreds of uh, Jewish-owned cars and smashing Jewish-owned stores as they did during the war. If if the Arabs start doing that, Arab citizens of Israel, uh, then uh, Naftali Bennett is going to have a real dilemma, and he, either he's going to take the strong stand that I know he he wants to take against the rioters, uh, or he's going to succumb to the pressure from that Arab party that's in his coalition, because that, that Arab party can just say, hey, you know, either, either you loosen up your uh, this strong-handed approach against the rioters, or, or we're out of the government and you don't have a coalition anymore. You know, we've seen it here with AOC and the really... Marxist people on the left that's trying to control Biden. We have the same issue in our government right now. That's why the book Confronting Radicals 
by David Rubin is so important. And David, any final words you have for the listeners today? Well, I, I, as I said before, get involved. Get involved, take action, whatever action you could take at the grassroots level. And, and of course, read the book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel, because there are a lot of lessons uh, that can be learned, very important lessons that can be learned from our successes and our, our mistakes as well. All right, you've been listening to our discussion on Israel today on Disciples of Liberty. We'd like to thank both our guests today. Um, David, hope you have a, a great day. Uh, what you can do right now is you can share these messages. You can go on your Instagram, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your Facebook, whatever type of social media you use, share these posts, share these podcasts, share this show. Uh, get people involved that way. Have the discussion with your children. Let them know the true history of what's going on in the world because it's important. History happens whether you're talking about it or not, and you can either be a participant or or you can ignore the fact and then you can be a victim of history. Uh, we saw that in World War II. We saw it with uh, many other things, folks. But it, it depends on you. You have to become involved. Thank you for listening to the America Out Loud Network. Until next time, this is the Disciples of Liberty signing off.